My name is Billy. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastor elders here at Reality Ventura. And we are studying uh, the kingdom of God, and we're using the book of Ephesians as our backdrop. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verse 29 this morning. The title of the sermon today is New Words. And I'll be reading and teaching primarily from the New American Standard Bible, but we'll, we'll look at a couple other translations, and I'll lead you accordingly in that. So let's read our passage, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, he says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you as we open your word. We come confessing, God, our need to be led by your Holy Spirit for instruction, for application. God, that we would take your word in and that it would affect a change within us. God, that we would grow to be more like Jesus. We pray today, God, that we would respond to your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we are considering the power and the impact that the words that we speak have on the world around us. Words have tremendous power. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was an incredible orator, one of the 20th century's best-known advocates for nonviolent social change. And King used words as very effective and powerful weapons. His incredible speaking ability caught the nation's attention in 1955 when he was arrested for leading a boycott of a Montgomery, Alabama uh, bus district, and their policy of any black or non-white person who was riding the bus had to surrender their seat to a white person, move to the back of the bus where they probably had to stand, especially on crowded bus days. And over the following decade, King wrote, spoke, and organized nonviolent protests, mass demonstrations, drawing attention to racial discrimination. And his, his work culminated uh, in a march that attracted more than a quarter of a million people brought together in Washington, D.C., out in front of the Lincoln Memorial there, where he gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. And in that speech, he uses biblical metaphor to envision a world where people are no longer divided by race. And listen to a part of what he said that day. He said that, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. Now, Martin Luther King, as you probably know, was assassinated in April of 1968. Just before his assassination, he gave a speech where he said these words. He said that the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. So powerful were his words and his courage that Congress actually enacted the Civil Rights Act in the same year that Martin Luther King Jr. received the Nobel Peace Prize. Then after his death, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and in 1983, President Reagan signed into law Martin Luther King Day, giving him a federal holiday. It was Martin Luther King Jr.'s words which led to tremendous social change, political change, and cultural change in the United States having effects 
throughout the entire world. See, it's this sort of changed speech, this sort of different speech that the Apostle Paul is getting at in our passage today. Our ability to form words and to speak is an incredible gift from God because our ability to speak, it's one of the abilities that God has given us that reflect our likeness to him. The great preacher and evangelist John Stott once said this. He said that our God speaks, and like him, we also speak, for speech distinguishes us from animals. Cows moo, dogs bark, donkeys bray, pigs grunt, lambs bleat, lions roar, monkeys squeal, and birds, birds sing, but only humans can speak. God has made us in his image and in Jesus, God is restoring his image in us. We are new creations in Christ. It's one of the themes of chapter 4. The Apostle Paul has been over and over again. You are new in Christ. And we live new lives in Christ. And today in our passage, we see that we speak differently in Christ. Look at our passage, Ephesians 4, verse 29. The first part of it says, Let no unwholesome words proceed from your mouth. Now, the, Christ, the Christian Standard Bible translates it this way. It says, no foul language should come from your mouth. No foul language. And some of us read this text, and we think that the Bible is simply telling us not to cuss, right? The Bible says, don't swear. And you, so you hear, no foul language, no problem, right? I stopped cussing after high school. Like, it was cool to cuss when you're 13. It's not cool to cuss when you're an adult. You kind of look like an idiot. And so I, who cusses anymore? I, you know, check. I don't, I don't, this, this, I've read this passage of scripture, I've fulfilled it. Or maybe you think it's like, well, just don't tell dirty jokes. Well, I stopped telling dirty jokes when I was like 16, okay? So check. What, what are you going to talk about the rest of the time today? See, we check the box and we move along. So that's not what this verse is saying, obviously. At least that's not all that it's saying. Paul is saying so much more than simply don't be a potty mouth, don't tell dirty jokes, Okay. I had the joy this last year of serving as the uh, interim youth pastor, and I learned a lot about the way teenagers speak, okay? Um, I learned that they love Chick-fil-A more than life. I learned that I'm old enough to where the music that I've loved since high school is now cl kind of classic and considered pretty cool, which is awesome. <laughs> but I also learned that teenagers give random gifts, okay? I was given a crazy random gift in July. Look at this gift I was given by Max Williams. Okay, <laughs> that's a ginormous crab in case you're having a, a hard time interpreting that. And so at youth group, that's Max standing in the back of his Silverado pickup truck, handing me a humongous crab. It's still alive, and I'm like, thank you, <laughs> right? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so we get home. My son and I are stoked. We get the camping hatchets out, and we're in our backyard, right, just like, just harvesting the legs and the claws and, you know, everything we can that's usable and bagging it up and putting it in our freezer. We had a birthday party coming that weekend. We're like, we're going to cook this crab. The rest of it, that's just the nastiness of it, we put into a kitchen bag and tied the top, threw it in our trash can, and just like, we're done with it. We're all stoked. We're going to have crab the next day. Well, the next day, our entire block smelled like death. <laughs> death. It was like someone had dropped a pile of dead animals in the street in front of our house. It was unbelievable. I tried moving our trash can up the street, thinking maybe the wind would catch it, right? 
and all my neighbors, everyone who smelled it, right, they're investigating. And they all came to, you know, eventually, you know, it, you find it. And they found me bleaching my trash can and burying the crab in, underground in my backyard. See, the rotting crab carcass in my trash can, this is a much more appropriate metaphor for understanding what the Apostle Paul is saying today. Because he's saying that wrong language contaminates and it affects the people in the community around us in a very destructive way. The, the word that he uses for foul language is sapros, um, or, or unwholesome, if you're reading the New American Standard like we are today. He uses the word sapros. Now, sapros means, very specifically, it means rotten, putrefied, and useless. Rotten, putrefied, and useless. Now, if we were to cultivate foul or unwholesome language in our life, it would have a rotting effect or a putrefying, useless effect on the people in the community around us. It's like a rotten, stenchous carcass. It's useless, and it breaks down kingdom, family, community. He continues to explain this in our verse. Look at verse 29. He starts by saying, no foul language should come from your mouth but only what is good. Now, notice Paul isn't just saying, don't say bad things. So all you box checkers, you got to go back to the passage. He's saying more than that. He's not saying, only saying don't say bad things. He's saying, say only good things. In other words, Paul is saying, examine your words and only say what is useful. And so as a Christian, as someone who identifies in Christ and lives for Christ, and as a kingdom family, as we do this together, living together, we don't just refrain from bad language and bad behavior. We should also examine our lives and get rid of everything that is useless. That's what Paul is saying here. We don't just not swear and tell bad jokes. We also get rid of useless words, words that have no purpose and no meaning for the kingdom of God. And Paul continues to clarify what he's talking about. In verse 29, he says, no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good. And the next part, he says, for building up someone in need. And so our words are not only useless, our words now have a purpose, is what he's saying. Our words, every word that comes from my mouth has a purpose. And so my words are to help build others up, to construct, to edify, to encourage others. And Paul's talking about all of our words, not just the words we use on Sunday mornings, but all of our words are changed by Jesus as we put on our new identity in Christ. And Paul puts a finer point on it in Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, verse 19, he says, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. He's saying that is our goal as Christians. We pursue, we strive for, we work toward the things that make for peace. Now, what he's talking about making for peace, he's talking about the presence of Jesus. We strive for the things that bring people into the presence of Jesus or bring the presence of Jesus into the situations that surround me in my life. That's what we strive for. That's our goal. But not just that. He says uh, we pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. And so to edify, to build people up, to bring people into the presence of Jesus, and to build others up, that is the purpose of our life and our vocabulary. Everything else is inappropriate. Everything else is useless. And so using this exhortation in Romans as our, as our guide to determine what speech is appropriate, 
We can quickly discern patterns. Okay, this was super easy for me to do. I, I've, I have a lot of misspeaking experience in my life. And so if I process everything that comes out of my mouth in light of Romans 14, I quickly can come up with a list, and you probably could do the same thing in your own life, a list of, of things that probably I should not be saying or ever say. Here's a quick list. We should be giving up lying, all lying, all misrepresenting the truth. We should be giving up flattery. Flattery is simply misrepresenting what is true, right? It, usually there's a false motive, a bad motive behind flattery. We should be giving up the way we handle the truth, misrepresent the truth. We should give up gossip, even if it's true. Just because what you're saying about someone is true doesn't mean you should be saying it with someone else. We should be giving up slander, right? Tearing people down. We should be giving up critical speech, criticizing other people. We should be giving up self-focused speech, right? Always highlighting the way the things that other people do affect me, making everything about me. Well, when you do that, it just makes more work for me. When you do that, it just creates drama for me. When you do that, it stresses me out, right? That's self-focused speech. It's useless. We should be getting rid of negative words. We should be getting rid of unnecessary or flippant language. We should be getting rid of perverted speech, we should be getting rid of insults. We should get, be getting rid of sarcasm, especially the kind that's, that's biting and kind of knocks people down in order to, to be funny. See, Paul is saying that any speech that tears others down is like spreading a rotten stench, a putrefying stench. It undermines and corrodes Christian community. And so our final test to determine whether or not we should say something ought to be something like this. We should be asking, will this build others up and help them experience Jesus, or will this tear them down? Now, according to this, this test that I just put forth here, I probably shouldn't say a lot of the things that I say, to my shame. Now, Paul isn't saying that we should be in, inauthentic. We, we shouldn't generate an artificial or fake positive disposition, right? Like Ned Flanders on The Simpsons, right? Howdy, howdy doodly neighbor, right? Like, just, just chipper, just everything is awesome. That's not what he's saying. Paul, just a few verses earlier, if you'll remember, a few weeks ago, he said that we're going to be speaking the truth, and then we're going to be doing it in love. We're going to have to have hard conversations. We're going to go through hard, dark times. We're going to have to be truth tellers. And so he's not saying everything is always hunky-dory in life. But what he's saying is that we're intentional with the words we choose. We pick words that bring people into the presence of Jesus and edify them, build them up in Christ. And so how are we supposed to speak? Where do we find a model, a good model for our speech? I propose this morning that we consider God. God, after all, God the Father, is the first one to speak. And he spoke creatively through Jesus, giving life and provision and beauty and giving a future for all into which he spoke. God is creative. God's words create. They build up. They nurture. God's words provide for and prepare plans for his creation. And God, likewise, pulls us up as created in his image. He pulls us up to be with him. He pulls us up to be like him. That's what God's word is and does in the life of the Christian and in God's kingdom family. It builds us up and it pulls us up. God is a creative speaker speaking creation and life and hope and a future into everything that he says. And so our speech 
As God invited us into stewardship back in Ephesians chapter 3, our speech is to dovetail, is to function in that. Where God creates in his speech, our speech then cultivates into God's creation. That we're to follow in the creative work of God with our speech, building others up, bringing Jesus into the world around us. For this reason, our words carry a lot of weight. Our speech is powerful. And the challenge is, in our fallen human nature, our speech naturally is rebellious to God. And it's actually destructive to his creation because apart from God, we tear others down because we protect ourselves. We look to nurture ourselves. That's how the world around us exists. Nurture yourself, take care of yourself, self-care. Apart from God, we step on others to try to lift ourselves up. Apart from God in our culture, we try to make ourselves gods, lowercase g. Not in the image of God, the one and only God, but we worship ourselves, we care for ourselves. Apart from God, our tendencies and words are not outwardly creative, but inwardly protective. We use our words selfishly to care for ourselves, protect ourselves, guard ourselves, and our speech is destructive to healthy, Jesus-focused, other-oriented community. In fact, our speech, apart from Jesus, divides us and separates us from others. But our words are not the problem. The problem isn't that we use the wrong words. Our words, our wrong words, are a symptom of our problem. James exposes the futility of simply trying to speak better words. He says that just changing what you say doesn't change who you are. Listen to this in James chapter 3, verse 3. He says, we can make a large horse go where we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even though the winds are strong, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest fire. Look at this, James 3, 6. He says, and among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting our entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Verse 7, he says, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. And then he says, surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. What he's saying is our attempts at speaking differently don't change the reason why we tend to speak wrong. We, we can't change ourselves. And he says our words can be like poison. And it's like that, isn't it? One critical person can poison a whole family. One critical person can poison a whole community group. A critical person or a critical family can poison a whole church. Because when one person is critical, right, when you're around a critical person, it's easy to fall into listening to that criticism and allowing a place in our heart for that criticism and then becoming critical ourselves. And it doesn't take long for a critical culture to spread in a community group or a church or even in a family, family members tearing each other down. And it doesn't take long for a culture of gossip and slander and negativity to spread, even in the church. I've seen this in the church. And you hear people, when you call them out for gossiping, and they say things like, well, I'm not gossiping. I'm just going to other people to seek wise counsel because I want to make sure that I'm seeing things right. Well, listen, if you're going to someone to talk about someone else, right, 
And you're like, I'm just checking to see if I'm seeing things right. You should be going to the person you have an issue with. And if you really are going to a spirit-filled biblical counselor for counseling, they're going to point you back to the person that you have the issue with, right? They're not going to entertain and then join in your gossip and then allow it to spread. Or, or people, when they're called out for slandering sometimes, will say, well, I'm not slandering. I just want to be sure others know how bad of an influence this one person might be to others. And so I just want to tell you how man, they're really corrosive. They're really bad. I mean, you, that might be coming from a part of a good heart, like I want to warn people. But listen, if you're not going to the person who's in error first and then pleading with them to turn to Jesus, and then if they're not, bringing other people with you to plead and make an appeal to them, if you're not doing that first, then you are slandering them. See, gossip, slander, critical speech, it spreads like the smell of a rotting carcass from my trash can. Pretty soon, the whole neighborhood reeks like my poorly disposed of words. My gossip reeks. It'll reek my community up. And remember that when I put the crab in the trash can, all I was doing was hiding it from open view, as it turns out. It didn't deal with that putrid, rotting, and useless carcass that was at the root of the problem. It wasn't until I did the job that I did not want to do I did not want to reach in there and grab that thing out of there. <laughs> I did not want to rip that bag open and dump it into my yard. It wasn't until the carcass was removed from its hiding place and buried, put underground, where you put dead things. That was the only way to deal with that which was rotting and stinking up the community I live in. In the same way, we don't solve underlying problems in our life by simply hiding among Christians and changing the words we speak. That's not going to change the underlying problem. Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus speaks into this, and he says that a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And then he says, what you say flows from what is in your heart. He's saying that you can only produce what you're made of, that the nature and condition of your heart directs and dictates the words and the patterns of speech that come out of you. He's saying that you say what you say because your heart is the way that it is. Your actions are what they are because of the way your heart is. That our speech and our actions are formed from our heart. And so our problem isn't our words. Our problem isn't our actions. The problem is our heart. And so critical, negative, poisonous, useless speech comes from a heart that is broken, insecure, and far from God. And this sort of speech rots Christian community. And it rots it from the inside out. Now, we can't change our heart by changing our words, right? The Apostle James pointed that out in James 3. We need to bury our sin nature and put on our new identity in Jesus. And so if you have any of this going on in your life today, a, a, a pattern of critical speech, when you look at a person or you look at a situation, you only see the way that it affects you. You only see what people are doing wrong. Listen, you need to put that away. Bury it. It needs to go down underground. It has no place in your family. It has no place in your community group. It has no place in your relationships. It has no place in your job or your workplace. It has no place in the church. It's like me try, trying to keep one leg in a trash can and one leg in the church. It doesn't work out. We can't become like God by simply changing our behavior. The whole Bible shows us this. It's an ancient fallacy that, well, if we just change our behavior, God will be happy with us. 
Because our words and actions don't change who we are. And sometimes we can fall into this trying really hard to change our behavior, hoping that our good behavior will change our heart and will somehow gain God's a- approval. Like, like God is more happy with me when I make a good decision. And so I'm just going to try to make a few better good decisions today so that I can feel God's presence and, and God's pleasure for me a little more. And we might believe that our better behavior earns us more approval from, the God, from God. And see, the Bible has a word for that, and it's, it's a word that's used all the way from the very beginning of the Old Testament. That word is self-righteousness. And self-righteousness is when we change the things we do in order to become who or what we want to be. The Bible teaches that changing our behavior does not make us good. In fact, the gospel reveals the exact opposite to be true. The gospel says that we must first be changed and made good by God, then our behavior can change and become sincerely good. Our heart has to change first. Put more directly, it is only by God's grace through faith in Jesus that you are made good. We are made good even though we are not good. That's the power of the gospel. God makes bad, undeserving people good. Then he leads us to walk in a new identity, with new, changed, good behavior and new, changed, good speech. He makes bad people good and then puts good words in their mouth. We're only made good by grace through faith in Jesus. Only God can change our heart by forgiving our sin and giving us his spirit. This is the good news that Paul has been laying out for us. Chapters 1 through 3 in Ephesians. Maybe you need to go back and reread that good news. You see, now in chapter 4, Paul is building on that gospel foundation, and he's describing new behaviors and new desires that the gospel is working out in us. In light of what the gospel has done for us, in light of God making a bad person good, I now can walk in good behavior because God has changed me, is what he's saying. New behaviors and new speech and new intentions flow from our new identity in Jesus because we're no longer who we once were. And so we now speak differently. We speak differently than we used to. We used to fall into being frustrated. Our lives were defined by frustration, being overwhelmed, being short-tempered, being negative, being critical, being sarcastic. That's the way we live when we're trying to, to make sense of the world around us without the grace of God. But see, now in Christ, we measure our words and we edit our speech to be beneficial to others, is what Paul's saying. Because God is at work in you, Christian, redeeming his image in you, redeeming his vocabulary, his words, his creative presence in you gives you words that create, that edify, that build up, that bring Jesus into the world around us. And so God is speaking creative words, empowering words, encouraging us to walk with him. God is now replacing our old patterns of speech with new, creative, empowering, encouraging, and edifying speech. And as we change, this is the awesome part, we get to experience the presence of God on a daily basis, and we get to experience proof of the presence of God on a daily basis because we start to see the loving, creative, life-giving, Jesus-inviting presence of God in the world around us, and we start hearing it come out of us. You get to experience the presence of God in your changed life. It's incredible. That's what God does. And so we're now intentional with our words, choosing and measuring and timing them to fit the purposes of God that we encounter in the world around us. 
We get to experience new lives with new relationships in a new community. And Paul uh, gives us a glimpse into that in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, as we let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. See, this is something that is corporate in nature. It's worship, and that's just who we are. We're encouraging, edifying, inviting the presence of God, speaking the truth, the word of God, into the world, into the lives, into the relationships around us. And just like in Luke 6, it says that our mouth reveals what's in our heart. And Paul in Colossians 3, picking up on that idea, he says, so fill your heart with the word of God. If you're a kingdom kid, if, if you're a Christian, you fill your heart with the words of God, creative, life-giving words. Listen, you're not going to pull this off if you're not in the word of God. If, if you find no value in reading your Bible, th then you're, you're never going to experience the freedom and the joy of a relationship, a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to put the Word of God in you in order for the Word of God to come out of you. And as we allow the Word of God to fill our heart, the creative words of God, the creative Word of Jesus will spill out truth and honesty and justice kindness and worship it pours out of us and it happens in community as we adorn jesus literally taking off who we were and putting jesus on as we do that and as we do that together we experience jesus and his salvation and his love and we experience it together we adorn jesus and enjoy jesus and we rejoice in jesus listen our behavior it, it, it might be all over the map we have good days and bad days, but Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. That means that your heart hungers and thirsts for Jesus. We're all works in progress. We mess up. We have big setbacks. We have real hardships in life. But Christian, rejoice in Jesus. Whether you're experiencing hardship or whether you mess up, we, we hunger and thirst after righteousness for God's word. That is who we are. Ask God to, to show you that change today, to, to switch and enliven that change in you. We don't want the old life any longer. We want our new lives in Jesus. And this change of affections only happens by the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is in you, your affections are changing. And we get to experience and enjoy this change that Jesus brings. And as we put on our new identity in Jesus, we get to experience our salvation and we get to witness the works of God in the relationships in people in the world around us. We become tools, vehicles. We become like channels of God's love and God's salvation for the people that we know and are in contact with. This is the last part of our passage, Ephesians 4.29. Paul said that no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear it gives grace to those who hear. See, Jesus changes our speech, and so we start to say only words that bring God's grace to the people around us. God changes our motivation for speaking. Because God has satisfied our insecurity, he's, he's met our need for love and approval, he's met our need for protection, right? we, our all and in all is in Christ, and so now when we speak, we don't need to tear others down to, we don't need to flatter them. We don't need to misrepresent the truth. We don't need to be offensive to, or to take offense. We don't need to be defensive and protect ourselves. The gospel changes us. We now get everything we need from Jesus. 
And what that does is it sets us free to speak to others as a means to deliver God's grace. And so how does this happen? Well, God must first speak his truth and his love and his salvation into you. And that word needs to come to life in you. There there needs to be a connection. Jesus said that he's going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will convict us and convince us. That is a work that God does that needs to happen and needs to be present. And then we respond to this work. We respond to this truth. And we adorn Jesus. We put off the old. We put our faith in Jesus. We turn from our old lives and put on a new life. What that means is we bury. We don't just hide. We bury the old identity as we adorn Jesus. And maybe you're in a place in your life where you need new words. You need God to give you new words today. Some of you might identify with the rotting carcass analogy Right? You feel like you've got this rotting thing in your heart and it's stinking up your whole life. It's stinking up your family. It's stinking up your relationships. It's stinking up the people you talk to. Like you're impatient. You take offense easily. You're critical. You're just in this thing like, man, it's hard for me to get along with other people. Listen, today God is leading you. He's saying, like, let's bury that thing. That is useless. That is dead. Let the love of God in Jesus free you and give you new words today. Because listen, it's a total ripoff to live life with one foot in the old trash can and one foot in the church. It's a ripoff. You're ripping yourself off from experiencing the salvation and the freedom that is available in Jesus, and you're ripping others off when the stench of our old useless life wafts into the church and what God is trying to do. And all of us need to hear today, it's a good reminder, that God is jealous for you. What that means is he has a fiery love for you. God does not want to give you up to lesser idols. God doesn't want to give up relationship with you to lesser things. God loves you too much to leave you caught up in this tension between two worlds or or trying to please him by trying harder. Today, God is offering you new life. He's offering you a new identity, freedom, forgiveness. He's offering you new words, a new vocabulary. He's saying, turn from your old life and turn to Jesus. It's the appeal that the Apostle Paul has been making all throughout chapter 4. He's saying, surrender your striving, surrender your affections to God. And for the Christian today, maybe you're a Christian and you're stuck in a passionless cycle of attending church, but not really pursuing or enjoying Jesus. Listen, today, the Spirit wants to break you out of that cycle of joyless religion Come, drop to your knees on the carpets as we worship today and cry out to God. Seek the Lord in worship. Guys, let's not settle any of us for a lesser way to live than intimacy with Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Sit with Jesus. Church, respond to Jesus today. We need Jesus to speak his words. God, the creative, building up words of God need to be spoken to you and into you if you want to see those words come out of you. Come and ask the Lord. Invite the presence of God to do that work by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. and God, I thank you for your presence. Whether we experience your presence or believe in your presence in a tangible way, it doesn't even matter because your word says that you are with us and you're near to us. And so, God, this morning we just say 
We need to become more aware of your presence, God. We ask you, God, for an intimate awareness and encounter with the living God. That Holy Spirit, you would move in us and show us those hidden corners where we have things tucked away that are affecting the rest of our hearts and lives. That we would surrender our whole hearts to Jesus. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move upon us and that we would confess those things and evict those things from our hearts by the power of Jesus and the cross of Jesus today. Pray that today would be a day of salvation. Today would be the day of freedom. Father, have your way in, the, in your bride. Come now, God, do this work. Lead us, God, as we adorn Jesus, putting Jesus on and burying the old life. We turn to you now. As we worship Jesus, we put you at the center of all of our worship. You deserve all of our glory and all of our praise. We pray this in your name. Amen.